Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper. I'm the co-author of Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, How to Think Like a Professional DFS Player. You can get the 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. If you look, this, this is the core work that, that we talk about on this podcast uh, every week uh, when we go over the application or thought process. And uh, it's it's an evergreen guide. This you could listen to this five years from now, and and it still applies to any sport, any site. It is the game theory of DFS. If you want to get better, if you want to play like the top players, uh, you, you got to learn the game theory. It's not necessarily about the sport, and that's kind of what we talk about uh, week to week here. Now, now we're in NFL season. I'm assuming we'll we'll go into NBA or MLB once once that comes in, and the concepts apply the same ways. And I'm joined, uh, as as always, with uh, with the since I play the more of the lower stakes, most massively multi-entity type of stuff, as well as cash games. Uh, Eric uh, tries his hand at the uh, the higher stakes, single entry, three max types of contests. Eric Bym four, but both at Roto Grinders. Uh, but you could find us on Twitter. We're we're always we're always kneeling people and making jokes. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming I want. I want to talk a little bit about cash because people do play cash games. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming that on a on a week like this, where the the chalk smashes, <laughs> that uh, that you probably didn't do well. That would be correct. Okay, well, me, and, uh, well, me neither. Uh, so in GPP, uh, me neither. Yeah. Right. Yes. Cash games. Yeah. I did. Five, I made. I made. I made like five grand. So I like. I'm. I'm happy because my cash game. Mm-hmm. You know, won like ninety five percent of my head to heads, but. On weeks like these, uh, they don't happen. That confirmation bias is like, oh, the chalk hits or whatever. The, the chalk right. doesn't hit. Not all of it hits all at once, many times. So if you're thinking about playing DFS, like even just for NFL for a 17 game season, like th- this is this is the week that if you're a sharp DFS uh, GPP player, that you just take a bath on, right? It's just just there's, there's no process. That you would have been like, oh, let me just jam in all the chalk and just uh, Jeff Wilson, and I'm, I, I win. I mean, like, like there was, there was, there was no way that you were going to get to the lineups that won, right? No, no chance. That's, uh, I'm sure you know you watch and some other people watch Peter Overzet's like, uh, you know, lineup builder, but he does his review on on Mondays, and he like pulled up the, you know, he did a good job like pulling up the winning lineups, and you know, he's honest. He's like. I would. He's like, I would never play. I would never play this this team in a in in a tournament. It's like you know, there was basically like two pieces that were not the stone chalk. It was basically a cash team with very small pivots, which some people, you know, I don't really agree, but some people will say like, oh yeah, you can do that in you know single entry, you know, smaller field stuff, and and I don't actually agree with that, but I understand where they're coming from. But the pivots. But when, the, when you say pivots. I know I interrupt you a lot. That's just that's just, yeah, just what no. it is. people comment. It's like I always I what I do. I always want to clarify <laughs> things. Yeah, uh, yeah. The small pivots are not small pivots to another somewhat lower owned player. The pivots had to be mm-hmm. to Jeff Wilson. Had to be to yeah. like the two percent owned guy that out of the blue comes up with a thirty point score. So yeah, like that's what I always say about cumulative ownership. Like, what's the yeah. number that it has to be? Well, it could be a really high number, but you. You need the really low number with, like, the barbell of your mm-hmm. salary. Yeah, you're jamming all the chalk, pivot in two spots with 1% on players. Your communal of ownership number is going to be high. 
but it's going to be a leveraged enough lineup to win. Mm-hmm. But you're more likely to have chalk fail at least a piece or two where the communal ownership will end up being somewhere lower because you're fading a 30% owned guy that only put up eight points. Right. And, and for me, you know, like you talked about MME versus, you know, three max type stuff that I play. It's just not feasible. You know, I'm, I'm scratching off lottery tickets. If I jam in six chalk pieces and then try to play Jeff Wilson jr. You know, like I'm just not going to win long-term playing that way for me personally. If you're playing, like you said, if you're playing, you know, 150 teams in different contests, there's times where that, that is applicable. But for me personally, I'm just not going to win when that is the way, you know, when that is the path to winning. Um, like some of these, like, you know, even like winning the spy, it was like the week where um, I think Pete talked about it again, too. It was like the week where the Blitz Optimal, like won tournaments. That's basically what this this week was. You know, the spy was like literally like the six chalkiest players and then like, you know, a, a pivot to Justin Herbert and a pivot to, I don't know, whoever, Todd Gurley, I think it was. It's like, yeah, okay, Todd Gurley was 6% owned and Herbert was 6% owned. But then <laughs> then you had the cat. It was a cash team aside from that, which is just like, you know, that's you just take, like you said, you just take a bath on those weeks. Um, I think it was a really hard week for contrarian tournament players because there were, to me, some some clear paths away from from that chalk that made for strong tournament plays. But the chalk was was just, I mean, we we haven't had the weeks of the 4k running backs that are like tough, really tough to bust. Like it's really, you know, outside of an injury and like really extreme variance, it's really tough to bust Jamal Williams. It was even really tough to bust Giovanni Bernard and he almost did bust. He almost did bust, but he did, you know, but when you just have $4,000 running backs who catch passes and are on the field 90% of the time, it's just hard to bust those guys. And, you know, then you get, you know, Devonte Adams having his ceiling game, whatever it's, it's, it was a. It was definitely just a, a little bit tougher week to to bust the chalk, um, and then the pivots, you know, just just didn't really. Well, the, p- the pivots got really as hit. many points as the chalk, so like you so didn't you can't you didn't gain anything. Like yeah, Todd Gurley was contrarian, but he got twenty two. Like all the running backs got twenty. Like if yeah. if you had a running back that had twenty points, you either over, you either got it from the cheap running backs or you overpaid two K for it, but you still got yeah, twenty exactly. points in your running back slot. So. Like whether or not you played, if I played Antonio Gibson over Gio Bernard, didn't matter. They both got about the same yeah. points, right? Like mm-hmm. you're you're not you're not gaining points that other players don't have. Don't have. And th- and this is why. And I tweeted tweeted about this that I, in in a, in a long term way, as a GPP player, I love weeks like this. Yeah. As a long like because what's going to happen? And I and I because I look at like Reddit. You get you get the the two sides. This is what this is what you see in in the community, the more broader community. I spy on Reddit. I lurk on Reddit. I lurk in some Facebook groups. I don't participate because it's a lot of bullshit. It's a lot of yeah. conspiracy theories, and it's it's no one's having real conversations. It's the do you think this guy is going to do good type of crap, and I'm mm-hmm. just not going to bother with that. That either you had the sentiment of like I I can't I can't believe I scored 200 points. It didn't cash. Right, because mm-hmm. they don't understand that what relative value is not absolute value, and then you have the opposite of of it, which I like the most. The ones that are complaining that they don't understand that you know, who cares that you got two hundred points? Like, like so you, you didn't get two hundred and two. You needed that this week, so it doesn't matter. I like the other side of the the people patting themselves on the back. Right? Oh yeah. 
right? The people patting themselves on the back. Now, I'm not talking about like industry people. I'm not talking. I'm not. I'm talking about players. Just uh, no, George mm-hmm. Schmo players that are like, I picked the players right. I got 220 points, and they got like a three or four X in a GPP, right? Uh, because you, you needed way more than that to win. You needed what, like almost 280 to win. And the cash lines were so high that if you if you scored like in ca- let's just take even just cash games, uh, if you scored uh, two hundred and four points, you won double ups by about four points. That's mm-hmm. the same as if the cash line was one fifty and you scored one fifty four, right? So like yep. if you if if this week if you put up two sixty this past week. I consider, like, I think, like, you, you did, you, I think you, you played well because you mm-hmm. had to get, you had to find points that other people didn't have. And it was right. very easy to find two, it was very easy to find 200 points. Like, that, no, you didn't do anything special by doing it. You, you played the best plays. Okay, great. And mm-hmm. so many other players played the best plays. How did you find mm-hmm. points that other people didn't get? And it was very easy to get to a 220 ish type of score, even with slight pivots. I mean, my cash lineup was 216. So yeah. I mean, like, and that's a lineup that I built it literally in two minutes, and then, like, like that of the best play. Like, what's the construction of the best plays? That and it's a two v two, three v two. It's like there's, there's not many players that could fit in, and that scored a two sixteen. So if you scored, a, if you scored a two twenty, how much better than you? I mean, I just well, you didn't do anything remarkably yeah. different than anyone else. So you have to compare it to, compare it to to the cash lines, the winning score <clears throat> lines, not like I I put I. I did the best at picking the right players. No, you need to do the best at picking the players that other people are not picking that do better than the best players. Because anyone can pick the best plays. So in cash games, I just wanted to highlight just a a concept because, uh, you know, we talk about this in the book. Uh, And a lot of the the book, the audio course, is is broad-based. Here are the concepts. Here are a couple of examples of how you could apply it. And think, and these are the things you have to think about when you're building, depending on the contest, depending on the format, depending on the sport, depending on everything. But the application, you know, it takes a while to get experience in the application. That's why I used to play poker, then read a book, then play poker, then read a book, and, play <clears throat> po- and go back and forth, and you get better at applying it. But uh, in, in cash games, uh, essentially my number one lineup and my number two lineup, like that I was deciding between, were the two most popular lineups. Basically, the the the, the lineup that I played yep. that ended up being the Blitz Optimal, like I made it and then I ran the Blitz Optimal and it happened to be the <laughs> same exact lineup, uh, was was the basically the 3v3 of Watson, Keenan Allen, and uh, uh, Jared Cook versus mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, Traquan Smith, and Travis Kelsey. Uh, yep. So I was deciding between the two of them. I also thought that uh, Robbie Anderson was close enough to Keenan Allen. I depend on the projections that you looked at. I mean, they were both up there. So, I mean, like, it, it, I'm not saying anything that's, like, crazy, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I, I think I, I, I overestimated how many people uh, were, were not going to play. I underestimated or whatever, uh, Keenan Allen ownership. I thought he would be much yeah. higher owned. Uh, and GPPs especially. Uh, so... Like I had to think in terms of, do I who do I have to block? Because I thought Kamara and Jamal Williams and uh, Devonte Adams 
and McLaurin and McLaurin were like they were they were locked. There's there's and the Washington and uh, I'll get to the Washington defense. Okay, so that's part of the concept. Uh, yeah. Blocking means that they have so much upside and so much ownership that and they're, and they're the best plays. Like I'm not I'm not moving it. I could see the construction with Kareem Hunt without Gio Bernard. I saw it. I I'm gonna I'm gonna side with the running back value every single time. Most I mean mm-hmm. most most of the time I am. Uh, Traquan Smith, I didn't think it was a necessity. I didn't think I thought there was too many good wide receivers. That why am I, why am I taking that spot there? Where the right. like like tight end was more of a wasteland. It's like can can I fade? How I had to think to myself, how owned is Kelsey going to be? Do mm-hmm. I need to block the tight end? And I came to the conclusion that he wasn't going to be owned enough that I needed to block Kelsey. But then when it came down to Robbie Anderson, I could have made a build instead of Keenan Allen with Robbie Anderson. And then I could have done Robbie Anderson and the Browns defense. Okay? Based on my projections, that had a slightly higher median. The Browns were actually projected median a little higher than right. the, the, the Washington team. And Robbie Anderson was like so, I mean, point two or something. I mean, something like that. And and Robbie mm-hmm. Anderson was correlated with Alvin Kamara and Jared Cook in my lineup. Yep. Okay. Now in GPP, you would think, oh, it, Robbie Anderson's correlated. I should be playing Robbie Anderson. But the thing is, the GPP correlation increases your variance because all the players are correlated to each other. So if one does well, the other does well, most likely. But also, it happens in the reverse as well. <laughs> if one one does bad, the others do bad. So in GPPs where you're looking to increase your variance in your lineup, you want to take on the correlation. Cash games where you don't get, I don't get paid more for finishing over the cash line than anyone else. So I want to, if given the chance, I want to lower the variance in my lineup. I'd rather take on negative correlation sometimes by playing, you know, the, you could play the, the running back and the quarterback together from the same team, even though they may be negatively correlated. So, so it's like, well, if they happen to run the ball more this game, at least I get those points also. So it doesn't matter what happens in the game. You wouldn't do that yep. in GPPs. So when I had to choose between, and I was thinking for a little bit, I, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing it anyway, but it came down to the decision. Do I play Robbie Anderson in the Browns defense? Uh, I know, I know the Washington defense is mega owned. I know, I know by far. Uh, and, and the defense is the most varied position in all of NFL DFS. Uh, who knows who's going to score the most points at defense. <laughs> in week to week. And I know they're going to be, especially in high stakes. I mean, they ended up coming in at like 70% ownership. So it's like, yeah, this is going to be the week that the, the Washington puts up 17, the Browns put up eight, and I lose all my cash games on a, on a goddamn defense. Yeah. Do I want to have my slate decided by defense? No. So I'm like, no. I'm going to side towards Washington. And then Robbie Anderson and Keenan Allen, I know Keenan Allen's going to be owned. Robbie Anderson, Robbie Anderson ended up like 6% owned in double-ups. Uh, Allen ended up like 30% owned in double-ups. And even though Anderson was correlated, I, I wanted to lower the variance in my lineup. So even if I thought, let's say you're sitting at home right now and you had that thought, who should I play, Robbie Anderson or Keenan Allen in my double-ups? And you 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 have a conviction that Robbie Anderson's <laughs> going to do well today. The right move is Keenan Allen. I mean, the right the right move is to is to take the negative to take the non positive correlation and play the the, the chalk defense because you if you believe that construction is optimal in general, and it's just a flip on a on a similar price range wide receiver, just side with the one, especially if you're playing low stakes. 
Let that let <clears> them <throat> make the mistake. If you want to, if you're playing triple ups, if you're playing three mans, absolutely. If you're playing three mans, you want to play Robbie Anderson and 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 uh, Brown's defense and increase your variance just by a little because you know you're going to be overlapped in probably the other six slots. Yep. Like you're now playing against two opponents that are most likely duped or close are much more. They don't have those. You, they have the other side of the 2v2 where they have the, the Kelsey lineup with Kyler Murray type mm-hmm. of lineup. But now when you win, the when, when you are on the right side of that thing, you win three times your money, not two times your money. So you're willing to take on that. If you're playing a yep. five man, a three man, you know, kind of the cash games, but they're not really cash. They're like slightly, you know, the, the five X's, the kints, those types of things. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's what the decision making that's what I was doing at noon, going, do I do this? Do I do that? And it's quite possible I didn't because I wasn't playing enough three-mans and triple-ups that I would have literally split and said, mm-hmm. I'm going to play Keenan Allen and the Washington defense in all of my double-ups and head-to-heads. And then in all of my three-mans and triple-ups, I just literally move all, I ed- edit entries, I, I just export that line up there, and I'll, I'm going to play the 2v2. I would have obviously lost. Uh, right. doing that in those contests. Uh, but if I wanted to, that would have been the lineup that fits. We talk about it all the time. The lineup that fits the contest just so happens the lineup that fit the double ups also did well in triple ups. So it did, didn't really, when, <laughs> when I have the two sixteen lineup and everyone else has the two Oh eight lineup, then some people have the one ninety eight lineup. That, that was a build with Kareem hunt like that. Like then, then you, you get on, you, you get on the right side. But I mean, obviously Eric, this is not, I mean, like you're think you're in single entry, uh, and three max. You're thinking more of like what I would just describe to do in the three mans and the triple ups. Yeah. That you you want to increase. You want to still have a chalky enough lineup, possibly. But you know, the whole purpose of positive correlation is to increase the variance in your lineup. Yeah, and I do think your point. That's what I was going to kind of bring up. It was a really perfect example of a week where three mans, five mans, like you said, triple ups, quintuple ups, whatever, all those contests, right? Three mans are like my favorite example of it, where there's very, very clear. Now, like you said, it would have lost. So, you know, we would have, you come on here and somebody's like, this strategy's shit because I lost. But it's a really good week in three mans and five mans. There's probably a ton of three mans and five mans. I don't play that many of them, so I, I don't have like an example to to pull up. But if you're in three mans and you're against whoever, right, Empire Maker and and whoever the some of the best cash players out there, you knew their lineup or you knew one of their two or three at least. Said there there was basically three, those those three options, and that's what you saw every single one of the high stakes guys play. So if you're in three mans against them, you're hoping that they land on whatever like the the they they both played that two oh eight lineup, the Kelsey lineup. Then you just play a 2v2 or a 3v3 from that. And like you said, you're taking on a little more variance and a little lower projection for for now you're 3xing your money when you, when you win. Like that's the dream like that's the dream scenario. It's the perfect example of why you should play that contest just slightly different than you should play, you know, your head-to-heads and double-ups. You could even argue on a week like this depending on how much risk you like to take on head-to-heads. Um, you know, a lot of people just play the same right head-to-head and double-up lineup, but you know, at different 
levels of head to heads, you might be thinking a little bit differently. You know, you're, if you're playing one K head to heads versus your $5 or, you know, if, if you can play the one, two, three dollars, that's a very different game. Like the, the, you know, Levitan says that I know better or approve it to me in the, in the $1 head to heads, but in the one K head to heads, I know what their lineup is. So what do I want to do? Do it, you know, and now, now that there's all that strategy around that. And I think it was a really good example this week of that kind of thing. Like it and, was and, so but, but evident. Thing, but the thing is, is that the first, see, we're, we're missing the first step. Like we're, we're not, we're not, I mean, we're explaining the, the, the strategy, mm-hmm. but we're missing the first step, which is where we're not going to get into the first step. The first step is, you got to be good enough to know what those cash lineups yeah. are. I mean, like, like if you di- if you didn't understand why one of those three lineups or something close, if you were not on Sunday morning deciding between those types of two v twos of do I play Traquan? Do I play hey Deontay Johnson? Because the two but the yeah. two hundred dollars made it weird, so you couldn't yeah. really get it. Are, are you playing? I, I, are you going down to Herbert even or yeah. Burrow and then making like that was that was off the beaten path, but still. Still viable. There was a lock. There yep. was a locket lineup, locket and Adams that you could have played that obviously mm-hmm. crushed. Yep. But those are the. If you weren't on that, if you were sitting there and you and if if, <laughs> if you're sitting there, if you played Kamara, Hunt, and Bernard with no Jamal Williams, like you you screwed up. If you played Kamara, Hunt, Davis, if you paid up at running back at all three spots. You, 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 you screwed up. Even even if you did, because you could have done that and still found your way to Lockett Adams and then uh, Deontay Johnson and a cheap defense that wouldn't have mattered because you, you got 51-47 in your wide receiver <laughs> slots and you take on the eight points that Davis had. Like, if you... Uh, what's, what's the expression? Like, you could break the rules once you know the rules. Yes. Right? So you have to yep. first know the rules and... Even if you subscribe to a site that that has decent projections, you could have gotten to any of those lineups. I mean, I built mm-hmm. it by hand just because I'm because skillful players are good at identifying value and identifying optimal lineup constructions. But you could feel free to go to pretty much any decent projections this past week and go give me the top ten optimals, give me the top twenty, and you would have found one of those three lineups in the top twenty of like any projection set. That you can mm-hmm. possibly reasonable. Obviously, if it's a horrible one, you're not. Uh, but but once you get that, then you can apply the strat. Then you can say, do I play this or do I play that? So my Robbie Anderson Browns example was in the top ten of the optimals that I ran, and I was already this is before I was hand building. So it's not like I looked at the ten and then chose. Although you could do that too. I hand built and said I could do. I could do this. Let me run, and that's when I found out the one that I had was the blitz optimal, uh, and and then I'm like, okay. And then once, oh, and also once I know I have the blitz optimal, it's like, well, my low stakes because a lot of a lot of blitz subscribers are more lower stakes players than high stakes players. I'm like, okay, I'm going to see this lineup in the, my five dollar double ups. So now I know that, that these players are going to be more. This construction is going to be more owned. So if I wanted to, I could have split even more, Eric. I could have moved. I could have played my Anderson lineups mm-hmm. in the triple ups, <laughs> right? In three mans. You're nodding. You know what I'm talking about. And then split yep. out my double ups and head to heads and said, all of my ten and five dollar stuff. I'm I'm going with the blitz optimal. I'm going with that. And then in my and then in my high stakes, I'm going with the Kelsey lineup, right? I'm yep. going with I'm going with the, the lineup that ended up at two oh eight because I believe that maybe maybe the higher stakes players are more likely to play that. Right, so I'm blo- I'm blocking Kelsey here. I'm blocking 
uh, <laughs> other guy, Keenan Allen there, right? I mean, this is all about mitigating, like, risks. This is all based right. on how do I lower my variance and still eke out a profitable return in cash games. And I know, and that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up because most of the time on this podcast, we're going to be – we talk about GPPs, and there are plenty of people that – even with projections, play cash games improperly or not strategically <laughs> optimal. That uh, that I, I think it would be helpful. Uh, but I, I was I, I, this week. I was. Uh, I'm, I'm going to take a couple of L's. Is that okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, and yeah. I, we're going to have got, a debate got, that I'll, we started I'll, on Twitter. I'll, I'm taking an L there, but I'm taking it in a different way. So I'm okay. You, you, well, we'll get to that. I'm going to take. I'm going to take an L. But I'm also not. I'm also going to probably end up arguing with you about it. So I'm, I'm going to take a slight L. It's a different direction. I was dra- I I drastically uh, overestimated how 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 I maybe I underestimated how stupid people are in the low stakes. Where uh, in the luxury box, uh, Jamal Williams was seventy five percent owned. In the play action, he was twenty six percent owned. Like how 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 do I predict that? In the millie, he was thirty six percent on. I was I was under the impression he would be at minimum in 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 the large field GPPs forty percent on. I was going under the impression that he was forty percent on. I ended up at like thirty three percent of him, and I played a I played a bunch of like Gibson, David Johnson, like like and and I would I would play Geo in those lineups with the two cheap running backs instead of Jamal, and then I would play. Jamal with one of those Gibson, David Johnson, Joshua Kelly. I thought Joshua Kelly was in that range. Yep. And a lot of people were playing. Ju- were going to play Justin Jackson. And I thought a lot of people would play Keenan Allen. So I thought Josh Kelly was like a double leverage point of like, yep. oh, it's negatively correlated to Allen, but it's also negatively correlated to Justin Jackson. So I kind of get both of those there. The Chargers do well. Kelly has 100 yards and two touchdowns. And everyone's on Twitter going, I can't believe I played Justin Jackson because what I saw last week. Right, it's one of those types, and right. it turns out I would I ended up being correct because Kelly had more, got more work than Jackson. But the scores didn't matter at running back. If you got twenty points at running back, who gives a shit? I mean, everyone did, yeah. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Uh, but that to me that was that was my biggest incorrect assumptions in ownership. I think my three were uh, I thought Jamal Williams was going to be much higher owned than he was at the low stakes. At the high stakes, he was. So for you, yeah. it, I, that was fine. Uh, I thought Devontae Adams would be much higher owned. In the play action, he was 19% owned. I thought he would be like 26, 27% owned. And I still played, I still was over the field on him. Uh, and then uh, Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen came in the play action, low stakes, ended up 12% owned. I thought he was going to be 22, 24%. I thought he would be one of the highest owned wide receivers on the slate. That's mm-hmm. why I was light on him and more on Kelly and Mike Williams. And the same reason why uh, I thought Jamal Williams was going to be 40% owned, I had a bunch of uh, MVS going out and doing wind sprints for for no points. Because <laughs> uh, it's at virtually the same price at a different position, negatively correlated to Jamal Williams. Mm-hmm. But had I known, remember I always say, like I judge based on, had I known in my low stakes, large field GPPs, I would have just jammed twice as much as I can on on Jamal Williams and not even bothered with a lot of that type of leverage. And I wouldn't have bothered as much with some Mike Williams and MVS and played, just played even the field. I would, instead of playing Keenan Allen, like, like 10 of my 150 lineups, I would have played him in like 30 like mm-hmm. that. And then, you know what that would have led me to? 
to play Herbert stacks. Yep. Right. Because now, how do I how do I go under on Keenan Allen and then play Justin Herbert? I can't. I can't. I mean, I'm I'm playing Josh Kelly as the as the direct negative correlation to that. So to me, that that those are my L's. Of I mean, I think they're reasonable L's. I mean, I just I I I overestimated the sh- the sharpness. I figure it's week seven that we get less bad players. The news comes out with Aaron Jones and people do what they normally do with like not late late news. Like we had a week last season where where uh, uh, Latavius Murray, right for the Vikings. This is when he was for the Vikings. It was two years ago, right or something like that for the Vikings. Like Dalvin Cook was like ruled out like at at inactives. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, and then he ended up like six percent owned and put up twenty five points. And when I saw the news, I like jammed him into forty percent of my lineups because like ninety minutes before the slate, people don't at the at the lower stakes large field they don't react. That quickly, but we had the Aaron Jones news on Friday, so I just expected mm-hmm. I expected people to more, be more likely to take out Geo in their lineups and play Jamal Williams. Same. So I agree. That's why I was like I was evenish on the field. I still like they had the high he had the highest uh, target score probability in my in my model for for any mm-hmm. position and any price. So like I I so like I didn't want to play him, but I just thought there were enough leverage points at cheap running back that. There are paths for him to fail, so he'll fa- he'll fail enough times that I should do it. But I just expected to to be l- leveraged off of like forty six fifty to sixty percent versus geez twenty six percent in the play action. Like, what are people doing? But at the that higher stake, but you noticed at the higher stakes in the single entry, like like all the stuff that I said, like we do this every week, right, Eric? Everything that I said that I w- was a bad decision to me, probably. Was there like if you knew that that people were jamming in Jamal Williams and Devonte Adams, you would have been like, well, maybe I should have played more Antonio Gibson. Right? <clears throat> did you? Yeah, I think. Uh, no, I played. You did. You so did I, it. You've been on Antonio Gibson like every week this season. Dude, I got so many L's to take. I can't. <laughs> we got to start. I got a. I got a list here in front of me. Gibson. Yeah. Um, well, I'm only I, saying Gibson I, I, not because he did well. Like I'm not. You're not taking I the L because it, yeah. he did well. You're not. You're taking the L because he's been like 5K for the entire season and you've been playing I him know. every week. I and know. now he's playing as a favorite against the Cowboys, and you're like, no. <laughs> the perfect synopsis of of how my of how my week went is, is and he was I leverage. He was price leverage at running back. It's like the perfect storm. It's just it, it just didn't work out, you know. You know, we talk about like racking and stacking priorities, and and this is also part of where like my L L comes in. Um, I'll get to that one second, but anyway, I'm racking and stacking priorities of how I'm gonna attack this slate, and you know, like I totally get like the MVS thing. Um, I think that I think that was a, a totally fine fine play. I decided I didn't want to do that, so I was basically just like outright fading the Packers Texans game. I didn't have a strong feeling on a way to leverage against Devante and, and Jamal Williams. And I didn't want to, you know, the secondary correlations, I didn't like that much. They didn't fit my builds. Like I just couldn't get anything that worked attacking that game. And then you see, you know, obviously Jamal is 75% in the luxury box as he should be Devante's 40%. But then like, 
you know, Deshaun was ended up being one of the most popular quarterbacks again, right, rightfully so, but that bumped up like Brandon cooks. So like, even if you wanted to play that secondary, that secondary correlation, you know, Brandon cooks is like 15%. Like Brandon cooks is the goddamn guy that every single week, for whatever reason, just, you know, like nobody even like talks about him. He projects fine. You know, he projects fine, but just because these Texans games are so, so popular, he's the one who gets this huge, huge ownership boost. So you see cooks is, you know, like top, top, 10 top 15 owned or whatever uh player at, at higher stakes so anyway i just couldn't get comfortable with with attacking that game so i just went to different builds so like I, and and like that was like my you know for for taking a stand my stand was on the, the the bills you know the bills jets game that was uh uh you know not a direct leverage point but a, a way to flip the roster construction build away from the cheap running backs onto cheap wide receivers onto an expensive quarterback that's not owned onto you know and Diggs was like re- reasonably owned but that stack was unowned people moved away from Gabriel Davis as a, as a punt who I loved I loved more than the field did and the Jets bringbacks were all free so well, I could thought they were this, free until yeah until, you do they, that they, every they, week they unless it's Jameson Crowder they're they're not free <laughs> They were overpriced, is what I found out. 3K, they should have paid me 3K to roster Jets players. But that was my logic, right? I, I couldn't get comfortable with leveraging some of the, the the chalk in ways. In you know, if I like, if I were you, I would have done. So give me some of the MVS thing, and then obviously I'm playing some of Jamal, I'm playing Devontae, whatever. But in in my, I played two teams. I I loved that Bills game. That was my like stand. So I went after the Bills game, which flipped the build for me to expensive running backs with the cheap with the cheap wide receivers which i was fine with i I was totally fine with that obviously that that was horrible i got third to last in the in the the luxury box with the bills deck i scored like 92 points or something like that but i'm comfortable with with that that general thought process it just obviously didn't work where i really screwed up is on 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 my second team I was really debating. So this was all. Oh, well, you're going to get into a team that's worse than that didn't even score 100 points. Well, it scored. It scored more. It scored more points, but it was a bigger mistake. Okay, but which is the bigger, which is big, the right attitude to have? It's a bigger L. It scored a lot more points actually, but it's a bigger is is a is a much bigger L, which I think will lead into our kind of uh, discussion and disagreement. So. I kind of just outlined my thought process on I you know didn't feel comfortable leveraging Packers whatever I was going to you know stack another game obviously. And I, I had the feeling on Sunday morning that the Seahawks game was not going to be as owned as I had originally thought earlier in the week. If we take a step back to like Wednesday, and this is part of like the late Aaron Jones news and the mix and stuff and all, you know, there's a lot of factors and Michael Thomas, Manuel Sanders, a lot of shit happened that changed projections and changed ownership. But if we go back to like Wednesday before we got all of this news, if you ran optimals, if you ran Roto Grinders optimals, I remember I was listening to one of the shows and Dean said it. He ran optimals on Wednesday and Tyler Lockett was in like 98% uh, of optimals. You know, Deontay Johnson was another example that, you know, uh, was an awesome play, would probably would have been in people's cash game lineups on Wednesday, but obviously then ended up low owned because of late news. So, I felt very, very strongly about the Seahawks-Cardinals game being the best game of the day. 
I was torn a little bit on exactly where the ownership would come in on Sunday morning because getting Jamal Williams opening up gave you more paths to play that team. But I also had the feeling, kind of like we talked about with, you know, like Cowboys Giants before, you know, a few a few weeks ago, where people thought it would be very popular coming into the week just because of the the total and the the offense and the and, and the shitty defense and all that, that people were galaxy braining themselves into into not playing it because they did not project as all the best point per dollar plays. But the game from a ceiling perspective, and as we know and as as we saw, the game had just as much upside, if not more, than any. So I was really honestly kind of torn as to how to attack it, how to attack my my second game. And so since I didn't have total conviction on exactly where that ownership would come in, like I if, if you would have told me Sunday night hit and Lockett and Metcalf and and Hopkins are all 20 to 25 percent and and Jamal, you know, Jamal was 75 percent and Gio was 60 and people did that, I would not have been surprised. But I also was not surprised because I just had that <laughs> feeling in my gut that people were just going to go to the, the the best plays and, and you know, and then Lockett and Metcalf and Hopkins and Russ is 5 percent. Like then those guys are all 10 percent like and and I think, you know, that was that was, in my opinion, a mistake to then just go to another game, um, which is what I did. And I went to the Atlanta game. And frankly, that, you know, that didn't really give me any, you know, it gave me, again, I kind of went to a different build and like it allowed me to play DeAndre Swift. So I went with the, like the Swift route and included him in my stack and the two stud Falcons wide receivers, you know, and Galladay, but Galladay wasn't that low owned. And even like Julio wasn't, it, it, it just, it just, it was a mistake. Like, the, you know, the game, the game did okay. Galladay did okay. Swift scored, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, it, it was fine, but I think in general it was just it was it was bad process because of a lot of the things that we've been talking about here. You know, and we may, like you said, disagree on the exact specifics of that of that Seattle game, but that was kind of my my logic, and I was like telling myself on Sunday morning, like, man, I I don't think these I don't think this is going to be that popular, even though all week everybody's like, oh my god. Seattle, Arizona. What an awesome game. You know, everybody's going to stack it, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it was, it, it wasn't low owned. I agree, but it, I mean, t- I'll take, you know, clearly t- Tyler, you know, Tyler Lockett has, has a decent amount of upside at 6,600 at 10%. I mean, if he was 10 K you needed him, he scored 50, he scored 50 fucking points. So, um, it was just that, that whole, like figuring out kind of that process, um, I think I think was just I, I, I regretted it so much after I saw ownerships, you know, through throughout the day come in. Right. And, you know, me for 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 small field, for 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 large field and everything, I I literally X out the game. Yeah, I, I, I just exit out. I, I, I know I know peace, no nothing, no, not mm-hmm. because I, this is what I figured. Uh, the correlation between those pieces, Kyler was chalk. He was the chalkiest quarterback in the slate. So I have to expect that Hopkins is the pairing partner. Kirk will get some of it. So like, okay, I have to expect if Kyler is popular in GPP, he's going to have to be paired with someone. Okay, so there's one So there's one side of the game. And then if you play Russ, he's extremely correlated with both. Of the, I mean, like, they all do well. They both do well. We, we We get the rare occurrences that one of the receivers gets, like, everything, which is what happened. But most of the time, if you're playing that, you're playing a double stack. If you're going to play, you could play a skinny stack. You could have done, if you're going to play a skinny stack, it, it, I, it, we're, we're, we're arguing over, I think, very small percentage points of, I expected 
uh, in in my in my fields that the game would that the ownership of Hopkins and Metcalf and Lockett to be around thirteen to fifteen percent, mm-hmm. and I thought the efficient ownership was ten percent. So like it's not it's not not a drastic difference, but I thought that from a directional standpoint that if I if I was off, I probably was going to be off by too much by 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 they would be more owned. Yeah, I yeah. was right. That's why I'm taking my L. Like mm-hmm. I was like I think the efficient ownership is somewhere in the 11 percent range, and I think they're going to be fourteen percent. And if I'm wrong, they're going to come in at seventeen percent. Right? Like I'm going to be wrong right. in the other direction. But if we look, this is this is where like I'm taking an L, uh, because if we take a look at stakes. So we're going to take reverse L's here. This is the, this is basically all all we're de- t- doing is taking reverse L's. Because uh, I think you were right in the wrong contests, and I was wrong in the right contests. So I'm taking a look right here in results DB on Roto Grinders. You get it's free, so you could you could go to Roto Grinders and check it out. Uh, uh, across the luxury box, the Wildcat, the Power Sweep, the Millie, and the Play Action. So a good swath. Of you know high stakes, then high stakes multi entry, then three max high stakes, and then kind of the lower stakes whatever. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was more owned in the higher stakes, eleven percent, twelve percent. In the milli, he was nine percent. In the play action, he was seven percent or almost eight percent. Then I'm going to go over to uh, Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett was. More owned in the higher stakes, 11% of the luxury box, 15% of the wildcat, 14% of the power sweep. But in the play action, he was 9%. Then I'm going to go over to Kirk, for instance. Kirk was actually lower owned in the high stakes. Kirk, the cheaper piece of the Arizona game, 7% of the luxury box, but 14% in the play action. If we take a look at Wilson, Russell Wilson, about even. Like, no, no dramatic, because both sides of the game, I, I get it. But then we take a look at Metcalf. Metcalf, 11% in the luxury box, but 14% in play action. Uh, Metcalf was, at a higher price, more owned in lower stakes. But the reason for that? Recency bias. Yep. Metcalf was the most recent big game. Lockett didn't have the big game. So people jump on that. And Lockett ended up... Twice as less owned in the low stakes. It was flipped at the high stakes. So mm-hmm. knowing that, having known that, uh, you you un- you underestimated ownership, right? You thought yes. you thought it would it would come in low owned. Like if it would come if that game came in at nine ten percent in the higher stakes, you would have been right. You were kind of directionally right, but it came in at 11, 12%, which to me, we could argue semantics was efficient. So yeah. if, we're, if, we, if you don't think that's efficient, that's another story. We're not arguing over strategy now. We're just arguing over our, what our projections look like, right? What the stack, right? For, right. That, that's all we're arguing over. And you could argue about that for, for years. Okay, well, no, who cares? And, and, and when we have no idea who's right, it, it, it is right. what it is. And I, think, right. and I think that was generally what our difference was. Like on Twitter, I do think it should, I think the efficient ownership should have been uh, a, a, a little bit, a little bit higher. And that was why I, you know, thought it, thought it was a mistake. Um, but it came in, but, but you like, see, but what, what I'm saying about the reverse L's 
is that yeah. in the higher stakes, they actually did get played more in the lower, than in the lower stakes. So, for instance, uh, if you would have played that, if, if you thought that 12% was efficient ownership, if you played them in high stakes, like, you you didn't do anything special. Like, you were about, yeah. you would, you're playing them in at the efficient level. But really, I made the mistake by Xing them out because they actually came in way less owned. Mm-hmm. And I was more likely, because of recency bias, to play Lockett, and Lockett obviously projected way better than Metcalf for draftings. Yeah. Vandal was different because of the pricing. Uh, mm-hmm. That I would have played a lot more Wilson, Lockett, because I probably would have just not played Kyler at chalk. I would have said I'm taking the other side of the game. And I would have played Wilson, yeah. Lockett, Hopkins. Wilson, Lockett, Kirk. And I would have been I would have been more likely to play more Hopkins as leverage off of Adams yeah, because I thought Adams was be more owned than he ended up being, and 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 not play Kirk because instead of playing Kirk, you know who I play, Deontay Johnson one offs, and he did great. Right. Like if that was my L, to me the L isn't in our comp. That's why I said before in the beginning of the show, I'm going to take L's, but I'm taking a reverse L because it's like mm-hmm. I don't think the point I was making on Twitter with you was. I'm, I'm going to stick by it. I, th- I th- that's what I I think the efficient ownership is twelve percent. If you think it's different, whatever you thought it would, yep. you thought it would be lower. On you thought the efficient ownership was fifteen, and it would come in lower than that. And you were correct if you thought the efficient mm-hmm. ownership was fifteen. If you thought right. the ownership efficient ownership was eleven, then it didn't come in owner, under that. Yep. So, like I was correct based on my assumption, and you were correct based on your assumption. Yet. We both made the we both made the same mistake in different directions, <laughs> yeah. right. right? Exactly. You're right. You you did you didn't play that stack, and I think that was the more of the correct move. You're taking an L on that, and I think in your contests they were efficiently mm-hmm. owned. And if you didn't want to play him, you didn't want to play him. But I made the mistake by overestimating the field, and I should have I should have been playing more than them if I would have known that Lockett was going to come in at single digit ownership. I'm thinking Lockett's going to be 14% owned. I think I thought Lockett was going to be in my contests the ownership that Metcalf was, and Metcalf would be owned what Lockett was. Like I, like right. I didn't take into that as much account of the recency bias, which typically affects more casual, lower stakes players in the large fields. I just mm-hmm. didn't. I just didn't think that with the $600 price difference that you're going to play Metcalf at 7,200 over Lockett at 6,600. <laughs> Especially, I mean, I'm looking at projections. I'm, and even if you're not looking at projections, why wouldn't you take the $600 savings? And uh, yeah, I would have jammed in more. I still probably wouldn't have got there because there's no way I land on on a, a construction that has like like five or six chalk pieces in it. So mm-hmm. like, I, it's not anything I could have done, but the decision point, because uh, I think in general, and I talked about it on the, the Morning Grind podcast with, with, with Stevie at, uh, at RG, that this was some of the biggest discrepancies in ownership I've seen all season, and yeah. and I mis I misjudged I I gave the I gave the field too much credit I guess in in my contest, and you get you gave them too little credit, correct right because like people just jammed in Kamara and Jamal Williams and Devonte Adams I mean and obviously you got there if you did that right but like if you if you know. Uh, 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 Eric, if you know that like Kamara at at his price is seventy percent owned, and Mike Davis is six percent owned, like why aren't you playing Mike Davis? Like like 
Yeah. Like I did that in large, I did that in, in my, I played a lot of Davis and Hunt because it was in, in non-Kamara lineups. But Kamara in the play action was 44% owned. So like I still played like 32% of Kamara, so I still had him. But in every Kamara lineup, I played Anderson or Moore. Right? Like I, I was like, I'm not going to play a chalk piece at that price without a correlated piece that I think is going to be like 10% owned. Right. Like something like that. But like at at higher stakes, like if I take a look at Anderson, Anderson was 8% in the luxury box. Moore was 7% in the luxury box. Can you please tell me, should I be playing these contests? Because, like, I, 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 maybe I'm just leaving money on the table because I'm, I'm going to quote where the bad players are. But how could, how could Kamara be 68% owned and, and the combined obvious runbacks of, of, a, of even a secondary correlation if you're not playing a Bridgewater stack be only a combined 15% owned in a, in a, in that, in a, that field. And like, why wouldn't you play like how people just playing Kamara one-offs as like, like, okay, I'm going to play a 70% owned guy with no correlation and just like not take advantage of the field. This is why I think I was a little frustrated this week and not because of, you know, even like anything that, that we've talked about, but like going back to our cash game conversation, all those like cash lineups that we talked about, like, you know, the three optimal cash game lineups, they were like duped multiple times in like the luxury box. People were playing, people refused this week to get, and now it wouldn't have mattered, right? We're having all this conversation about how, you know, how like big of a mistake this was and that was. And at the end of the day, like I would still be sitting here having lost, but. Yeah, but, but no, no, hold on. I want to clarify that. Cause I mean, this, this is what I mean by, I like these types of weeks, because it gives yeah. confirmation bias for the long run. Because people will look back at, like, right. remember, remember when Will Fuller was mega chalk and then he still put up 55 points? And, and like, and, and, and McCaffrey, that build was just three. I mean, like, the winning score that week was in the Millie was like 330 or something. Like, right. that people remember that. They don't realize the 16 other weeks, it's not like that. So, Mm-hmm. So people think, well, I can win this way. So I'm just going st- to, I tweeted out, like, I, I welcome these cash lineups into my GPPs. I, I welcome them. Mm-hmm. I hope this reinforces the fact that you just play the best plays and, 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 and print. And, but all the people that are patting themselves on the back for doing well in GPPs didn't win. They, they Correct. profited, but they didn't win first place. So they're going to try to recreate that and then still not win first place doing that unless you have your 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 Jeff Wilson's out of nowheres or whoever, you know, he had a Cole Beasley build or something where he he had 25 points out of the blue. Uh just it's not a long it's not a long-term profitable strategy especially in contests that have much top heavier like yeah. even the wildcat is like three hundred thousand a first, and like by seventh place, you're like it's ten thousand bucks. Like you you can't jam. You're not going to be able to jam in your cash lineup and get first place in those contests. So like, and you're not, definitely not going to do it in the larger field stuff. So I I I hope I hope people take they go into week eight going. Well, I'm just going to take the best plays, and I hope more people do that. But I don't understand. Like I. I don't want to sound like I'm calling out otherwise good good players that play in these contests. I I want to learn. See, this I question. I, I'm just a blunt New Yorker. I'm just a Jewish guy from New York, and I I, I it sounds like I'm 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 speaking down to people. I'm not. 
I'm just, I, 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 I believe in t- the teaching style of exaggeration of in order to get a point across, I'd rather go to the most exaggerated level on both sides mm-hmm. just so I could grasp, put my head around the concept. So we don't get tied into nuance of like yeah. when I said, get Robbie Anderson and Keenan Allen were close enough. I don't want to get into the nuance of, well, he has a 31% target share and he had right. a 26, like, because that's not an exaggerated example. Keenan Allen was a, was a, a much higher projected play than Braxton Berrios. Okay. Like, can we understand if you can't even understand that, well, then you have nothing to start with. So like, that's why you have to go to the exaggerated examples, but can, so, can someone explain to me what, how you could play such because even like Jamal Williams, like I'm going to put in Brandon Cooks was 13% owned. Okay. Brandon Cooks was 13% owned. Fuller was 8% owned. This is the luxury box. It's an 11 mm-hmm. entry max, $3,000 entry contest. Uh, I, I, I surmise it's one of three things. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm asking how could you, how could someone, uh, I mean, you can. I'm not saying you can't. But how could Jamal Williams be 75% and 68% on Alvin Kamara and have the Carolina wide receivers and the Texans wide receivers be that low-owned in comparison? And I'm assuming the ownership on those guys are tied to Kamara. So I'm I'm assuming if I download the CSV, which I I may do just just to take a look and see the correlation between Kamara and, and, and Williams and those guys... That if Fuller was in a lineup, it was with Jamal Williams. So like I'm looking at these ownerships of like Moore, Moore is seven percent and Anderson is eight percent. I'm assuming they're not those guys are you're not gonna find a lineup with them as a one off with no New Orleans player. Correct. That they're probably tied to Kamara. I don't understand why more people don't do it because it's correlative. I either think one, uh people are just building, you know, their, their, their cash lineups and jamming it in. Uh, two, they're just purely going by projection and not adding correlations. Or three, there's some reason that I don't understand and I want to learn why that's not being, it's, especially since I'm coming from a background in large field GPPs where it's obvious that maximizing correlation and leverage is 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 the correct strategy. So, like, mm-hmm. I know the luxury. How, how many people are in the luxury box? Let me go to the summer. Let me go to three hundred. Three hundred, I think. Yeah, three seventy one. Yeah, three seventy one is still big enough that you shouldn't be jamming in your cash lineup. Correct. Right. So, like, like, yeah, I understand. If it's the Thunderdome, <clears throat> okay, I, a thirty person contest, eight, even eighty, and even if you're jamming in your cash lineup with a two v two switch. In a, in a in a less than hundred, okay, I could I could I could put up my hands and go, okay, it's not what I would do, but it has a reasonable enough chance to, to win first place. But in a three hundred and seventy one entry contest, and it's not single entry, you could play eleven entries into this contest, uh, or no, three that wasn't three, uh, that was four. Of uh, maybe it's a reason that I I don't understand yet. Maybe that someone could explain to me this. Three is. Uh, people that are playing above their bankroll and they're too scared to not cash it. Because <laughs> that, that's, understand, that's another, re- that's the reason I don't play it. That's the reason I don't play it. Because 
Like I'm not going to play a three thousand entry, a three thousand dollar entry contest and not play correctly. But I have mm-hmm. to be willing to that if I if I come in last place, I lose three thousand. Right. That I'm not looking to come in to you know to win six thousand dollars coming in because you still have to place in like the top twenty percent to even like double your money. So you got to mm-hmm. play a leverage lineup in some way. To some extent, unless all the chalk hits, and this is when the we like if you played the if you played your cash lineup in the luxury box. Let, let me go to the exact, like I'll go to the exact. Uh, the winner was uh, obviously the, the the guy that won the milli was uh, Shanks a lot. Yeah, right. So he he won, but I'm just looking at the cash line of yeah. Like if I played my cash line, which was two sixteen, I would have came in around seventeenth, eighteenth place for ten thousand dollars. It's a $3,000 entry. So I would have essentially tripled my money. But I could have, I, hey, I could have played a thousand. I could have played, and there's no $3,000 triple ups, but I could have played that instead, right? That would have been giving me better equity because I don't need to come in anything more than that. But like if you played that 208 lineup, which one, two, three, four, five, six, it was duplicated six times in the luxury box, uh, you doubled up. The luxury box pays the top what it looks like fifty out of three seventy one. Double ups pay, would pay the top what one sixty out of that, and you're playing a lineup that's both duplicated, non correlated, un, under not leveraged, and I mean like I, it's either because they're just it's it's the it's the, the empire maker. I play one lineup and jam it into everything, and then you're playing with so much volume that like. Whatever you cash in the luxury box is just the bonus. It's just like whatever it is, it is. Uh, I don't un- I don't understand it. I mean, me and Stevie talk about it on the morning grind. And who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe this is a leak. And I'm, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you shouldn't have this leak. But it's hard for me. It, it's, it's hard, Eric. It's hard for me to balance <laughs> these two concepts in my head. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, so at some point, sometimes I think I have imposter syndrome, right? That it's like, like, well, I'm not as good as these people. So like, obviously I'm, uh, it has to be, I'm missing it. Right. I, they have, and then, then you think in terms of, well, I'm looking at the names in these contests and it's like, these, some of these names are people that like, that's how I, who I studied to learn how to play. Right. And I'm going like, how many of these, these, these guys that, well, they're obviously good and they're profitable at this game. And they're doing that, and I, from my, from my, all my logic says that, that making those decisions are, are strategically negative EV. I mean, or at least less positive EV, right? At least lower EV. Why are they doing it? I think there's, I think it's a combination of a bunch of different things, most of which you hit on. Um, There's definitely cash lineups in there. There's definitely some of the uh, empire maker, you know, concept of some of these high stakes guys build one team or or a couple of teams. Some of them definitely, you know, you know that, that, that's how you know that that that's how we got here. Is I, I did the same thing as you, and I stud, studied some of these guys and like adapted my game because I do think some of them play with with a little bit of the, those leaks. They will like I don't even know how to describe it perfectly. But like they're they they just will not fade Kamara like as you see you know you guys like that get to seventy percent yeah but then why not but, play but, but it but right. it but 
I looked at projections. Multi, there's not going to be a projection model. I, I did, unless, unless, unless maybe they have proprietary models that are ridiculously different. Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore projected well. Agreed. Right. It's not. They were. They were not. They were. They were in the top ten mm-hmm. from a salary adjusted value at wide receiver. They weren't in the top five, but they were in the top ten. So I just don't understand how how you don't we don't see some of that. Like I, I'm taking a look at Uticao's lineup. He had 11. He had one that scored 206. He had one that scored 210. He had, let me take a look at this one. Okay, I'm gonna look at the 210. Uh, let me bring it up. Can I put it? On, let me let me put it on the screen even. Yeah. I mean, you can't see so, the screen. Well, while you're so while you're doing that. It's 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 a it's like this this trickle down effect where they they are like outside of the people like putting in cash teams they are still like stack you know they understand stacking and game stacking and and that kind of stuff but you get the top projected plays and then you run, like they just like run out of roster spots so you know you pivot to whatever Deshaun Watson and then okay so maybe you do play Brandon Cooks with them or um this is a probably a poor example that didn't get utilized but you know you, you, we'll use my my example because I, I played Kamara without without one of the bringbacks but I I full stack the the Bills game you know, I went all in on the Bills game and flipped the build with expensive running backs three expensive running backs and tried to and actually tried to leverage the Cowboys game going the <laughs> The opposite direction. We saw how well that works, but tried to leverage that going the opposite way and then, you know, going the cheap wide receiver route versus the expensive wide receiver route. So that's a path that sometimes I do think um, some people take and some obviously I take I take myself. But I think in general, you get people playing cashier teams and not utilizing the secondary correlations. They are playing some sort of stack with the best place around it. So they are the the okay, I'll play Justin Herbert with Keenan Allen. And a lot of times, maybe not even use a bring back. Sometimes they do use a bring back. But then it's just the best plays around it. So it's a lot of those those types. So you get the cash, the pretty much cash teams. You get the the, the variations of, of cash teams with those kinds of pivots with the, be- the, the best plays around it. And then you get people you know, kind of like me, full, full gal-braining like game stacks and, 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 and fading chalk and stuff. So you see, but that's why, like we talk about, that's where I think my long-term advantage is, is that's how they're building. And so I am thinking about secondary correlations and, and you know, how, where are my advantages based on their, on their ownership? And that was also part of, you know, not to go back to the Seahawks thing, but that was part of why um, I think it was a mistake was because I went to the Falcons game, which allowed me to get away from Kamara. You know, I wasn't leveraged. I didn't play anybody in that game. Um, I almost played the Saints defense. But anyway, uh, you know, it allowed me to just get to a different build. But I'm also – so I'm fading Devontae for other expensive wide receivers, Julio, Ridley, Galladay. But then I'm also fading Kamara because I'm playing all the expensive wide receivers. You know, and then you can get – you can do things like Gibson. You can do different things there to still get your leverage against against the field. But that was why I was like, God damn it. Why did I do it with the Falcons game when I could have done just done Russ Lockett, Metcalf, Hopkins instead? And, and the, the general ownership was basically the same as what I did with Galladay and Julio. You know, so I did it. Um, it. That was just my personal, you know, 
preference on on that kind of a of a of a pivot. But I think in 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 these contests, it, it's pretty much a combination of what you said, and then just a couple of other little you know people are just playing you know conservative projection based lineups without thinking about secondary correlations and and all the different leverage and and well, not like all that. of them. I'm looking. Yeah. I'm looking at Utica's lineups. I wanted to bring them up. I consider mm-hmm. Utica. It's maybe other people have different opinions. I consider Utica to be the greatest overall DFS player of all time. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And all and all four. I mean, it, 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 I I think Osimo. I would put in large field GPPs. He's probably he's probably the best large field GPP player ever. But from an overall, as far as three max single entry cash games, everything mm-hmm. uh, I put, I, Uticao is the is the is the player. He's not on Twitter. I don't know. Who knows? He's an enigma. Uh, I, I don't know him or her. I met him. Who knows? I met. I met. I, I met him once, and he's the nicest, softest spoken guy ever. It's so fun. It's, really? It's so funny. He. Yeah. I've learned the most from. Like, if I did choose a player that I've learned the most from, it's him. From yeah. studying, I mean, for five years of stutter, studying lineups like like the go-to guy for gpp whatever david mock another one mock i mean overall all formats all contest types all everything you know they may may not be number one and we we could argue who's number one out of the top like 10 players all great and different formats but overall like utica so we take a look at the luxury box he has 11 entries and he play plays two in the top in cashing spots but uh, I don't know if you're you're looking at it on results DB. I have it. Okay, the two hundred six point yep. four eight because I have it up on the screen here on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm. So he, let, let's first go over the chalk. He has Williams and Adams in there. Okay, that's fine, and he has Kamara in there. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But then instead of playing Gio Bernard, he plays Antonio Gibson, right? And it's and in, to correlate that with the Washington Football Team, who's the high owned also. I mean, we take a look at this lineup. The ownership in this lineup has uh, very chalky players in it, but. Instead of playing a chalk quarterback, he's playing Herbert to correlate with Allen and Henry. And Allen and Henry are both 20, 20%, 22% owned. But the run back is DJ Chark at 4%. So he's playing the three plus one with the lower owned quarterback, the lower, the low owned 4% running back, uh, the 4% wide receiver run, uh, correlated run back, and the leverage running back in the range of Gio Bernard that correlates with the defense. This is a type of team where this is the barbell type of team. Ate a ton of chalk, but correlated. Cor- you know, the, the one, he basically played the chalk one-offs. Kamara, mm-hmm. Adams, Williams, and just like, okay, now I'm playing correlated, but he's playing, uh, he's playing Allen and Henry. Char- like the chalk and Gibson gives him the leverage. And that's all he needed. That's all. I mean, it didn't, it, he came in 47th place, but like, I take a look at that lineup. And then he has a 2-0-2-10-72 lineup. Same thing. Jamal Williams and Devontae and Devont Adams are in this lineup. Okay? So what does he do? He plays Aaron Rodgers with them. Runs it back with Will Fuller. Okay? That absolutely makes sense. A 3-plus-1. Plays Giovanni Benmart as chalk. Plays Antonio Gibson. So now he's playing three cheap running back. So this is leverage off of a Kamara type of build mm-hmm. and plays Keenan Allen because high projected wide receiver play. And because he's not playing Kamara, 
He's going to leverage off of Kelsey ownership by playing a, a Darren Waller was my one of my highest uh, exposed tight end uh, on Sunday because if you were going up, you're playing Kelsey, and if you're not playing Kelsey, you're probably going in the mid range. Yep. And that's why I played a bunch of you know I played some Chris Godwin kind of yep one ones. I know I know uh, having conversation on Twitter with uh, with Adam shit my money about like. Like Brady was an option. He yeah. was low owned. You, yes, you could play him. I was more concerned about the target tree. Uh, yeah. Uh, like if I were going to stack, I would have. It would basically just be with Godwin. I had to. Pri- it was one of those things that even for me, I had to prioritize. He was mm-hmm. there. I considered it. He was just really. It was. I just cut it out. I like. I, I'd rather. I. I wanted to get more Matt Ryan. That didn't work out. But I mean, like, yeah. it, it was one of those things. It's- I get it. It's just that after Godwin. And maybe Gronk, because he seems to be back. Like, who do you... I mean, he's he's thrown touchdowns to Tyler Johnson. He's thrown touchdowns to Scotty Miller. Cameron Brate's there. Ronald Jones out of the backfield. Fournette out of the backfield getting catches. Like, I'm just looking going, like, if I'm wrong on Godwin, all these stacks are wrong. Like, all, like, there's no... Like, I... It's either going to be him or I got to hope that he's going to get concentrated production. So I didn't devote that much to him. But the, the, the lineup that we're looking at from Uticao, look how much chalk he ate. He ate a ton of chalk and then in like two spots, essentially. Three spots. The fuller correlated run back to the chalk. That's what, Why wouldn't you be doing that? I mean, you're playing a 75% Jamal Williams and a 34% Devontae Adams. You have the correlation with the quarterback already. Like, why, 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 why is Will Fuller 8% owned? Why is Brandon Cooks 10% owned? And then... Antonio Gibson is 4% owned versus Giovanni Bernard is 34% owned. He he just played all three of them. Mm-hmm. And Darren Waller sitting there at 12% ownership. And, like, you're still playing the chalk defense. Came in 29th. But I look at these lineups. I'm like, these are the lineups I build. When I play the spy or the step power sweep or, you know, that type. Like, this is how I build. So that's why I'm looking at at, at lineups. I'm going to go down. I'm going to scroll. We, put it, we have it on the screen. Uh... Let's go to, let's go to, let's see. I'm, I'm, okay, this, that, that was contrarian enough. I mean, we see some of these. I mean, like the 208 lineup is right in here, right? SRN 828, but he's also known for like just taking one lineup and putting it in 150 times into stuff. Uh, but like even, okay, how about Wiggins? Okay, Wiggins had, Wiggins had, a, had a contrarian lineup. Uh, he had a uh, 207.9. He had three entries into this. Uh, so he had Murray, Hopkins, Lockett. Okay, he did the, I think they're going to be less owned than people think they are. Still played Jamal Williams, but he played, oh, he played the, the reverse type of build where he's playing two higher price running backs, but he's playing the chalk. Kamara, mm-hmm. Hunt, Williams, just jamming them in. And then playing Njoku and Davis as the one-offs. And it's not like they were like low owned, but they're not correlated. And see, the the, the pro like I don't want to say that I have a pro like yes, a thirty six hundred dollar player could get there. So like I have no problem. Like I just it, it, it's playing Gabriel Davis because Allen stacks get there. Kind of like if Davis has well, a big game, maybe Diggs has a big game. But I get but at that price, it doesn't matter. So like I, I yeah. See and see, this is where I would and, and people laughed at me and probably will still laugh at me, but. Chris Chris Herndon was three thousand. I don't I don't know why you would play David and Joku. You know if this, if you were set on this build, I don't know why you would play 
David and Joku when you have Hunt and the Browns defense. You know, so but this is an example. Like again, we can split hairs about that. And I understand if people were are not interested in playing Chris Herndon, right? Like right. I get it. But if you're if you're playing Gabriel Davis and Gabriel Davis is going to win you a tournament, you know, and catch two two touchdowns, and Kareem Hunt and the Browns defense are going to win you a tournament, and Hunt's going to run for 102, and the Browns defense is going to dominate. And Joku's not going to win you a tournament, most likely. Right. So it doesn't make sense to me to to do that, but that's where look and Joku just projected better, right? So people play that. This is just the little new, the tiny little nuance that comes into the the these these teams in this. People aren't as worried about that secondary correlation. So that is the long term edge, in my opinion. These are the this is a good lineup, and these are the best players. Right. In the world. I mean, I mean, we're the, really splitting. I mean. Yeah, uh, we could show we could, I could go it down if we could find losing lineups and I could show lineups that people like someone just that has three thousand dollars on them has one entry. And I go, why the hell did you play this? Right. Yeah. I mean, we could do that. So like the 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 criticisms are like this. Are yeah. this I'm just I'm looking at more of a trend. I'm looking at the same thing of like, like, well, why? Like I take a look here, like for Papa Gates. He has a lineup at 207.2. That is a good lineup. He has a leverage at Waller. He's playing the other Murray and Hopkins with no Seattle run back, which is, uh, could get there. But like he has DJ Moore as a one-off and no Kamara in his lineup. So like, like wouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense to play DJ Moore in a Kamara lineup than as a one-off? Like I said, I'm saying this, I want to be very clear. I'm saying this possibly being wrong. I'm asking. I'm at, I to my logical sense and how I put lineups together. I don't understand other than if the answer is uh, that they plugged in a couple of players and and the, the the lineup builder said this is the best projected player for 5600, and it didn't happen to be in a Kamara lineup. Then I'm fine with that answer, and I'd be like, okay, that's exactly. Then it's it's. It's what people call projection whores. And if they mm-hmm. have great projections, they're still fucking profitable like there's no tomorrow. I, yeah. get, I get it. I get it. But if that's the answer, I'm fine with that answer. But if there's some other answer, I, I'd, I'd love to know because I look at it. To me, it, it, it doesn't fit the logic in which I play. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying the way that I play is right. And I'm not saying the way that they play is wrong. I, someone that plays my way wants to learn if there's anything that I'm not taking into account. Or I'm overweighting, right? Maybe I'm overweighting correlation. Maybe I'm 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 putting way too much stock into why play Herndon across from Davis when Njoko projects for like four median points more than Herndon. So you'd much rather who cares about the correlation between two sides mm-hmm. of a game between the the wide receiver two and a garbage Jets tight end that you might as well just take the higher projected player there. That that's probably the answer. I'm I'm, pre- I'm I'm pretty sure that's the answer. Mm-hmm. I for large field, if I played Chris Herndon in that lineup, he's like he's one percent owned. I'm trying to beat sixty five thousand people. I'm trying to beat one hundred and sixty seven thousand people. This is a contest with three hundred seventy one people. I would agree. That's 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 probably the wrong move to me. That's that you don't have you don't have to do that. But mm-hmm. I'm still questioning the. Why is Kamara so owned and Moore and Anderson not owned enough? 
Like I, I, because we're not now. We're not talking about Chris Hearn. We're talking about actual good plays at yeah. both positions that just weren't correlated enough. Here, here we go. Here's here's Hishbu. He has DJ Moore in a Kamara lineup. Okay, that make and he's James Robinson as a leverage play. Okay, I get it. I get this lineup. Right. So it's contrarian. I'm going to go to uh, let's uh, let's see. Tasteful tides. Right, Kamara, no, nothing. This is a, a Texan stack with, yeah, this is a three plus two and a Tyler Lockett one-off. See, like to me, like if you're, if you're playing Tyler Lockett as a one-off and you're already playing Kamara in your lineup, like why isn't this Robbie Anderson? Right, but this is, all this is just like the perfect example of there's certainly good lineups in here. And I agree, I, I, I'm never claiming to have all the answers. I'm never claiming to, to, to say like, oh yeah, you have this secondary correlation. 100% has to be played over the Njoku thing or over whatever. I, I'm not like, right. We're I not under, saying there's, like, there's, when, when there's I'm in the road to all this, right. When I'm in the road of grinders discord, a lot of times my answer to questions when, when people ask, do I play this guy or this guy, which doesn't make any sense. You have to show me the lineup and the contest it's in yeah. before I can answer that, that, the, that here's the here's the three variables you have to consider one projection two and projection for GPP is ceiling probability ceiling probability or median whatever whichever one you want I don't care number two is correlation and number three leverage so if you're going to tell me a one v one do I play this guy or this guy my natural response is either play the guy that's higher projected more correlated or more leveraged if that if, what for whatever lineup you're in. I'm not yep. looking at your lineup. I just see, do I play Robbie Anderson or Keenan Allen? That's all I see. But like, if you if you're if if you already have Hunter Henry in your lineup and not Justin Herbert, probably play Robbie Anderson because now you're going to be playing a negatively correlated player without the had two receivers without the quarterback. Like that, to me, that makes sense. But if you tell me that that in that you you believe that Allen has a much higher ceiling probability. Then Robbie Anderson, and you like you don't care about the negative correlation because the the median and ceiling probability make up. They actually make up for the negative correlation, and it becomes a positive EV play in that lineup. That's perfectly fine. But now we're just arguing over projections. So like, right. I never want to argue over projections because then it's just a matter of I think my projections are better than your projections, and who knows who? I mean, if you that if it makes logical sense in your if if if. For instance, Tasteful Tides said to me, I didn't play Robbie Anderson here because Tyler Lockett projected so much better than him that I wanted to play the better player. That makes sense. That, that, that Then it's the correct move. I, we're, all we're arguing over is the difference in projections, not the difference mm-hmm. in the decision. His decision was based around his projections. And his projections showed Tyler Lockett higher, uh, significantly enough higher than taking on the positive correlation of Robbie Anderson there. My projections had Robbie Anderson from a salary-adjusted value, because obviously it was cheaper, 6000 on the same level as Tyler Lockett. So, like, to me, my decision in this lineup would to be play Robbie Anderson based on my numbers. But if, if Tasteful Tides told me, oh, yeah, Robbie Anderson was projected higher, was, uh, was, uh, was actually equal to Lockett, I would be like, dude, why did why?" Why not play him with Kamara? Like so. That's... I think it, to to me, it boil it, all, all this boils down to you know I and we, you and I, believe in in 
those three things that you that you talked about, right? It's a combination. It is not any one individual thing. It is a combination and a nuanced view into projection, um, correlation, and and leverage. And I am and have been successful. And who knows? Maybe I go broke. Continue continuing this. We, we don't know. You know, I can't I can't predict the future. If 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 I'm going to win in these contests, I, it is it is my belief that I want to have to get as few things right as possible, and I want to um, uh, what's the what's the the quote? Because it's one it's one of my favorite quotes. Capitalize you know capitalize my you know financial upside when I am right. So my I, Dink, I'm, Dink I'm doing, would say I'm, it's not about being right; it's about how much you win when you are right. Exactly, and so I'm 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 trying and and and. Part of that is in those correlations. I know, you know, we're using Chris Herndon. We're using, I did, I, I legitimately played Chris Herndon on Sunday. So that tells you about how good my, my week <laughs> went. Uh, but, but it was that. It was like, well, if I'm going to play a punt tight end, why, you know, yes, Njoku looks better. Yes, Harrison Bryant looks better. But if I'm going to play one of these shit bums and the Bills are going to score 50 points, I might as well play the, the Jets guy. Obviously, that didn't work. But I believe. You know, until I am proved wrong, which I haven't been proven wrong in my opinion yet, and because of some of the things you talked about, I look at Utica's lineups. He does this, right? Like now, this week was a weird week where, yeah, you know, you had a lot of the chalk, but we yeah, also yeah, saw on, a lot on of week, no, hold on on weeks on weeks where the chalk hits, correlation and leverage don't matter anymore. Like every yeah. everyone scored the same amount of points. Like you you didn't gain anything by correlating right. or let, like anything could happen when the when the chalk all, all smashes. You have to think yeah. in terms of the what what happens when some of the chalk we're not going to we have some weeks where all the chalk busts, but that doesn't happen that often either. It's usually a combination of 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 both. Some chalk hitting, some chalk not hitting, and then if you got the leverage off of the chalk that didn't hit, like you profited, and if you took the leverage off the guy that did hit, you went down. So, so like it—that's the matter. So, like using this week specifically is that—that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm just looking. I'm I'm just. We had a week where the chalk was very condensed. Right, we have a week where everyone's thirty percent, twenty-five percent. Like then it's like how much le- you're not getting as much leverage because they're not as much owned. But when you have guys in contests that are. 70, 75% owned and you're not paying, playing a correlated piece. So you're not like sharing the same points with 75% of the lineups. I, I, that I'm, I'm, I look at results DB and I'm studying players and I want to know, I want to know why Uticao does it and not other people. Like uh, what, why, why does Makasupa do this? And why does this guy do that? And some people, I know I've studied players long enough to know that based on the, what I've seen over hundreds upon hundreds of slates, I tell people, people don't believe me. I study this every morning. I go into results DB at least 15 minutes. I mean, it may not be for that long, but I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm studying their exposure sets. Then then looking at their lineups, not just how many, how much they have above or below, just like, okay, what lineups did they create and go through and see if there are things that I missed. There are things that, okay, yeah, you're right. I could have made that correlation. There are, yeah, that was good leverage. I didn't realize he was going to be that low owned. And then he made sense in these types of constructions. So that's why going through and looking and then asking quite like that. I I don't just like look at this stuff and then go, oh, like most people look at this, what they'll do. You'll see on Twitter, right? You'll see it, especially on weeks where like, like sharp players don't do well. 
And they go, look, look, I beat I, I beat so-and-so by 40 points in a head-to-head. Yeah. And because uh, they pick the players better, right? And go like, oh, these guys aren't shit, right? And I'm like, no, no, these, these are the most skillful players in the entire world. And I want to learn from them. So I can't come across as, well, look at look at the mistakes that these guys are making because I'm not if hey if I thought I was right enough I'd be entering these fucking contests. I believe the skin in the game type of mentality of I can't be the one talking about you know they're not playing right if I'm not willing to put three thousand dollars on the line in order to prove them wrong. So that's why I'm that's that's my attitude is can please can can someone reach out and tell me. Utakao is a you know soft spoken guy. Maybe maybe you have his number, and tell me that that is is one of my assumptions that I posed correct. That mm-hmm. it, people are just going by projection, and maybe I'm overvaluing correlation in comparison to projection, and that could, that could be true. I think it, I think it's a it's a an interesting thing to monitor that I'm going to continue to monitor. I stand. I believe in like the strong opinions loosely held type of thing and i think that's kind of what we're outlining here is this is what i believe and this is what you believe and this is what has been successful for the both of us and for other good players um but we're seeing some things that can possibly contradict that and i think it's worth discussing and it's worth considering you know alternatives um because i don't know everything and i don't have and i don't have every answer but you know i think um I haven't seen anything to, you know, prove either you or I wrong. And I'm going to continue to operate with my, my strong, my strong beliefs. But just like you, I want to keep looking at what, at what's happening, you know, in specifically in these tournaments, like we've been discussing for the last while and um, yeah. And talking with smart people and seeing what smart people are doing and always considering, you know, other, other alternatives. Right. Cause I, I, it may be a field size thing. Like I said, like mm-hmm. I, I, Mac, I, I, you know, I, I binked five GPPs, large field, which is a lot of money when you bink those, uh, you mm-hmm. know, seconds and top fives a bunch of times. And this is how, I mean, this is how I play. And, you know, you know, when, when you win with Garrett Temple in, in, in basketball, <laughs> right. And people, and th- cause this is what ends up happening. Because this literally is what happened when I when I binked with Garrett Temple in my lineup at small forward for thirty eight hundred or whatever the hell he was, uh, and he go and this was one of the game. This was a game where there, there was there was like he was on the Grizzlies, right? And and Dylan Brooks was out. I remember, right? Yep, and, and, I remember I played him. Yep. Right. Yep. It, it was a, it was a short I, rotation, and like ten threes or something like right, that. Right. Right. Yeah. He went he went for like forty two points or something. Yeah. And he was two. He was he actually wasn't the lowest owned player in my lineup. Toby Harris. Because everyone was playing some other guy, and I played Toby Harris, and he had a ceiling game for fifty points. Uh, but he's a good player, so it's like no one questioned like why did you play Toby <laughs> Harris? They're like, why did you play Garrett Temple? I said because I was playing D'Angelo Russell in the lineup. <laughs> like D'Angelo, they were playing the the the, the Nets at the time, right? There was net yeah. something, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like, well, uh, based on the construction, I needed I needed a thirty eight hundred dollar small <laughs> forward, and I why didn't you play this guy over him? Well, because the I'll play the other side of the game because the game goes over. I mean, it's a it's a weak correlation in basketball, but it's still yeah. it's still positive. Mm-hmm. So my so, but people don't want to hear that. You know how how many heads explode when people ask me, "How'd you know? Why'd you pick Garrett Temple?" It's like because he, he he's a guy in the Grizzlies. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why didn't you pick that? Like, no, because he's a guy in the Grizzlies that fits small forward that that every that, that everyone was playing, you know, some forty five hundred dollars small forward as chalk or something. And I didn't. Ha- if I had the forty five hundred, I probably would have played that guy, but I didn't <laughs> in the construction I had. And I'm like, I'll just play the correlated piece. I don't know. He could. They're playing a seven man rotation, so. Sure, maybe he got then there he goes, and there you go, a hundred thousand dollars later, and people don't want to accept that. Like my mm-hmm. choice was not based around basketball. Like it's not. Uh, I fuck, fuck if I know how what's going to happen in a game. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one was playing that game because they thought that the team was going to blow out, and I was, I was, you know, it was D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell at that time. He was like sixty eight hundred or something, and he ended up being seven percent owned for no reason. Like that's how I win. I play the good, the good players that just based on construction, just don't get, end up getting owned. But mm-hmm. I've been, the thing is, is that I'm describing a hundred thousand dollar GPP win from two years ago. So like I'm, I'm playing to do that two or three times a year. Like that's my, that's if I can do that two or three times a year, yep. I've been successful over the past five years doing it two or three times a year. So like, like I know that I'm, it, it's that, that if I did it once and that that's that's it and I I barely would I look at my top you know one percent finishes, and and you know it's it's garbage, then I could chalk that up to luck. I could be like okay then mm-hmm. I you know I, I'm onto something that's wrong, and I got lucky. But when I take a look at you know that I have well more than my fair share of one percent finishes over the course of five years of playing large field GPPs and have five first place finishes and five second place finishes and, you know, 20 plus top five place finish. Like I have the sample size gets to a point where like I, something of what I'm doing has to be, has to be correct in some way. And although I am using projections to some extent, I'm, I'm, I'm building lineups that I know are suboptimal from a median standpoint to get correlation and leverage. So like, when I see these things, I have I it, it's it, it would be intellectually uh, criminal for me to not ask questions because I can't just assume that I'm right. And if yeah. I am right, and I'm not willing to put in fifty thousand dollars of volume to prove that, then I then you have to know that in my head I'm not I I I'm not I, I don't want to be overconfident. But also that's kind of a nitty that you know I'm I'm nitty I, I could be <laughs> hey. If I can't like, uh, I could be ninety eight percent right, but like I don't want to play. I don't want to. I don't want to put fifty thousand dollars until I'm hundred percent right. So like, because in my lifestyle, the way it is, is like I'm 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 perfectly fine making fifty seventy thousand dollars a year and you know time and freedom and whatever. I don't need yeah. all the money. Uh, but I still, from a game perspective, I I always want to learn. So mm-hmm. even even if it's something where e- either it's a leak from other players or it's there's I'm overvaluing correlation that I, even if I'm not going to compete in these, these $3,000 contests, I'd like to know so I could compete against the bad players and do well. Yeah. I think it'll be a, I think it's a really good thing. Like it's a, because every week is every week is so different and we have seen even, I mean, you've, you've, you've won with like this kind of uh, mindset that we've, we've outlined here just in the last couple of weeks but then, you know, we we sat here and analyzed some of these teams and we think, you know, maybe this is a leak in, in some of these guys' games. I'm excited to kind of stack up more data points, you know, like next week when we're talking at this time and go through because, you know, the 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 odds that a slate goes just like just like Sunday winter, you know, almost almost none. So 
going back through and now we have we can compare like right okay let's pull up Wiggins lineup now let's pull up Yudas Yudas lineups from from this week and we have this reference point of of week seven you know and kind of bounce it back and forth and the more you start to stack these things up um I think it tells a little bit clearer picture and I I you know just like you said saying it again I I believe passionately in in what we're talking about that it is the right way to play um, all contests, including this, uh, you know, this high stakes small field contest. It is like same thing for you. It, it has over a long sample. It has worked for me. Um, it did not. It you know, it, it it honestly hasn't worked very well for me this NFL season. But I don't think it's because of the strategy. I think it's you know, sometimes shit happens. I've it's very. It's which, only been seven yeah. weeks. I mean, NFL is and all small talk, sample size. And we've even talked on here where like some of the. I, holding L's I've made mistakes seven you know everybody makes fucking mistakes I've made mistakes this year and like you said sometimes there's variance um I've had a couple of good weeks where it was close and you just don't get the ball you know you get the top one percent team that just the ball just doesn't bounce your way so you don't get the 100k score you you know that's just how it goes but I believe passionately and I that's why you know I that's why we're doing this podcast that's why you did the book believe passionately um and believe over the long sample that this proves itself out it's just the whole concept of uh you know not trying to be right the most you're trying to profit the most when you're right is is something that there's tons of week-to-week variance over and this was a week where that mindset didn't work very well but maybe next week you know it goes the other way well if anyone has the answers you could you could you could most people i say send us the questions right send questions at questions send me the answers right i want the answers so uh, questions at theoryofdfs.com. I know a couple of people have already sent in questions. Uh, it, some, a lot of the questions are like evergreen type of questions. They're not like on the specific slate. So uh, if you sent them in already, we're not ignoring it. It's just that it depends on what comes up in, in, in the content. We will, we'll, we will answer them periodically uh, throughout. So feel free to always send them in. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. And uh, and we'll we'll, we'll always want to have something to talk about on a, on a week to week basis, and then I, most likely we, we're not going to run out of things. I mean, like <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it seems like there's there's oh there's only a limit of things that you could talk about DFS game theory, but there there really isn't because the contest mat that differences and and trends and and new information that more people have. I mean, it 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 always changes, and that's why I think when. Uh, you know, I put together the the 15 hour audio course. Like, I'm not scared that more people learn how to play better. I believe I believe that if you take the course, 15 hours, theoryofdfs.com, that you will be a better player. I have a five year head start on you on implementing this. Just like in poker, that you could feel free to read all the books you want on poker, and then go and sit at the table and actually try to implement. That in practice, you're not going to be you're not going to be good at doing it in the beginning. You you're now going to not be a bad player. Now you, you've it, just by reading everything, you've become a near break even, break even player. Like now now from a long term, you're probably you're not going to lose all your money. But in order to actually be a profitable player, like you have to you have to learn to implement this on your own without DMing me, right? Those types of things and and looking reading articles and whatever, on a week-to-week basis. You have to have a replicated process 
that you could assess all of these variables and every slate is different. Every poker mm-hmm. hand is different in the same way. So that that's why I think that I, I'm still going to have an advantage. If, if everyone thought this way, and it would just become just a really more a chess-like type of game. And I think I'd be better at it. So like, like why, why, why wouldn't I? I mean, yes, the really bad players may now get better. How many, how many, uh, and to, hey, until this YouTube channel and this podcast gets, uh, gets a million subscribers, gets, uh, you know, 50,000, a hundred thousand subscribers. I, I, I think we're fine. I think there's enough Joe Schmoes that, that don't know how to play well or average players that, you know, play optimals in, in, in GPPs and stuff like mm-hmm. that, play the best plays type of people that like, I still think I, 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 I people ask, what, do I have all the answers? No, I don't have all the answers, but all the answers that I have, I will tell you. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I, 100%, you want to see my roto tracker? You want to, you can do anything you want. I, I truly believe that in the long run, the more people that are interested in DFS and the more the more that the ecosystem could remain healthy that the that from a long-term perspective that makes me more money so so yeah, it, at, it, at the end of better the, at the end of the day no matter no matter how quote unquote sharp no matter how many people apply some of these strategies that we think are successful you're playing a game against other humans it's still a game that the game theory doesn't isn't isn't based around the fact of the DFS structure, it's based around the fact that you're playing a game against other humans. So there will, you know, like you said, you have five, five year head start. You're always you, like these people can learn everything that we talk about that we think is successful or that other players think is successful that might contradict but whatever, whatever the winning strategies are, doesn't really matter because the game always changes because we're playing against other humans. Successful strategies five years ago were different than 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 they are now. A lot of things still still remain the same, but things will always change because I'm playing against you and I'm playing against thousands of other people or hundreds of other people. And what they do impacts what is what is successful, not, you know, not uh, picking the best players like you talked about. Right. So. It used to be in, in, uh, in if you play poker in the 70s or 80s, if you just played the best starting hands and kind of played straightforwardly and a couple a couple little deceptive moves, you were probably very profitable. And then once the 2000s came around. And then now you see now you're seeing amateur players continuation betting into you and you know and making a little bit more aggressive moves and know and, and know the value of position versus their starting hand like now that becomes an edge over the bad players and mm-hmm. then now it's 2020 and if you're just going to sit there trying to play monkey poker you're going to get crushed because like mm-hmm. the strat now people have adopted based on what the field knows and found counter strategies against it. Yep. So maybe we're we're in a period now where what we're talking about is much more prevalent, and this is a way to get an edge over much of the field. And then five years from now, we may we may be Eric. We may be sitting here after an NFL slate because we'll still be doing the podcast, right? We'll mm-hmm. we'll still we'll still be making money, uh, talking about counter strategies to the strategies that everyone knows, which are these strat, which are, well, I'm going to correlate. Exactly. We're, we're going to be talking about, uh, uh, how about I, I play the most uncorrelated lineup because it's going to be, you know, no one's, no one's yep. going to play three wide receivers without a quarterback. So I'm going to play the three cheap wide receivers. Like honestly, that showdown. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like exactly. that, that, that next level that, that actually yep. is good. We people, people are complaining over the winning. One of the winning lineups was like no cup, cup, no woods left 13,000 on the table or whatever. Oh, you just got lucky. It's like, no, no, 
that showdown strategy. Yeah. Like you haven't got yep. to that point where where everything flipped. Like, oh, uh, you know, you know the thing that makes absolutely no sense? Those are the best lineups. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, this is this is good. I'm excited. It gets me excited. You know, you go through frustration periods uh tilt everybody tilts right you know and, and my tilt was over pretty quick on sunday so that's good uh, it was over it was our it was curtains real fast when you play bills jets but uh yeah it's hey, we get to this point in the week and you you see a little bit of things and you always learn and you learn you learn a little bit and get some other things to kind of consider going into the week and then you can just do it all over again for 17 weeks and and all you got to do you, you only got to win once or twice and you know and and it works so uh but yeah, this is this is good. It, it helps me, you know. We're all human, you know. You you get down in a bog, and it helps me to just talk talk through things. Um, you know, keep keep on the on the steady path and not get too bogged down with uh, the day to day grind of of DFS. Right. We both took L's. Yeah. We we we, we both we shit. both took a reverse L. We really took reverse L's. Yeah. God. The, the, there, there were no W's to be taken on Sunday for me. That is, that is a fact. It was a lot. It was a, it was a lot of, that's, lot of L taking. But uh, that's why you play. That's just how it goes. Games. You got to, you play you cash games. Well. You win money on those. Yeah, you got, look at, look, look at the difference, Eric. Last week, we're on the show. I'm like, uh, I just binked fifty thousand dollars. I got crushed in cash games, right? Got crushed yep. more than I, I, I think any week in NFL I've ever had. Uh, this week, GPPs crushed <laughs> cash games, probably the best cash game week I've ever had. Right. Yeah. So like, right. yeah, yeah, I'm not making as much money when I'm doing the cash games, but at least it, to me, that's why I play cash. I don't play cash necessarily. Cause I think that I'm going to make a ton of money and then I'm going to get into $10,000 head to heads. Cause I, I just don't think the edge is there. Even at the lower rate, I'm doing it for this very reason of like, like this is this is what's like smoothing out the swings of yeah. GPP play. Yeah. If I could grind out a five to ten percent ROI in cash games, like it it doesn't make it that I'm going upswing, downswing. Even though I don't max enter, I mean I still enter enough that you know my my swings could be for at least for my personal risk tolerance uh, mm-hmm. high. That that you know, I don't I'm not trying to convince you to play cash games. I'm just like. Like you don't have you're you're never you're never you're, there's there's nothing that's going to make you put together a cash lineup, right? I put I play some cash here and there, oh, but really? I, I used to play I used to play a lot of cash, and I just don't really play play that much anymore. Um, for you know a, a, a number of reasons, mostly because I hate it and I don't enjoy it, and I play this for fun. I, you know, we play it for we play it to win money first and foremost, but it's also fun. I enjoy it's it. Otherwise, fun to I wouldn't win do it. money. Yeah, exactly. It's fun to win. That's what's the fun. If this was a free, people ask me if this if this was a free game, I'd have no interest in it whatsoever. No. So it has to be about the money. Exactly. But but people, uh, uh, give our, give us uh, your feedback on whether or not did we really take L's? We kind of took L's, right? We, we didn't. I'm take... Try, I'm, if I didn't make it clear, I want it to be clear. I got I got a ton of L's to take, and I'm willing to take them. You can blast me on Twitter, DM me. Yeah, send in send in emails to the account and tell me that I'm an idiot for some of the things that I do. I'm more than happy to do it. I I lose and I'm wrong all the time. But uh, the goal of this is to be a long term winner, not not a winner every week. Yeah, but I think my L was worse. Truthfully, I think my L was worse. Because if I if, if if I if I thought that 
Lockett and Met if they were gonna be like not Metcalf, if they were gonna be that low I'm X I'm I X them out of my fucking player pool. I mean like I played 155 <laughs> lineups and I had nothing. Yeah. Right? So to me to me yeah. that's that to me that's the bigger L. But the the whole thing about the reverse L is that that's why it was such like what we were arguing with on Twitter was like you were right and made the wrong choice and I was yeah. wrong. I was right and made the we both were right and made the wrong choice in the contest that we were in. So that's why it's a and you were arguing my, you were essentially were arguing my point and I was yeah. arguing your point. So so I, I think we we invite we 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 invented a new term, the reverse L. So so if if you're out there. Feel free to take reverse L's all you want. I've taken so many regular L's already this year. We had to come up with a new one for me to for me to try. Because it's very hard to take a reverse L when you're arguing for the opposite <laughs> point in which was which is what you did right. It's like, yeah. well, I don't think the blah blah blah, and I didn't do it. So like, what that's yeah. so you were wrong either in your assessment or why you didn't react to that assessment. So like, is that an L really? To me, I consider it a reverse L. Yeah. What is a rever- reverse L is really just a a J. Solution. We took a J. Yeah, J. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a more like a typewriter J. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the- uh, theoryofdfs.com, that's where you can get the course. Uh, send in your questions. Questions at theoryofdfs.com. You can follow me on Twitter, BlenderHD. Eric is at uh, Eric Bime 4 right? I, I always forget if it's Eric or E by 4 It's yep. Eric by 4 with a K yep. and an E before it's it's an E before I you'll find I him. Know. It's it's in it's in the, the description. You could you could you could find everything. And uh and uh we have week eight coming up and there's who knows how many reverse L's we're gonna take on the next edition of the Theory of DFS podcast.